Welcome back to Drinks First, uh, the podcast in which you can meet New York City's kind of eligible. But today we have our cocktail hour episode with a really exciting guest. He is a nightlife connoisseur, a native New Yorker, DJ, and soon to be published author. I don't know if I can say that yet. Maybe I can't, but... There, lot, you're doing lots of exciting things, and so I'm really excited to introduce Jack McQueen to to the stage. Jack, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up? So, um, yeah, I'm from I'm from uptown. I grew up uh, I grew up in Manhattan, and um, after a brief sojourn in uh, at the University of Wisconsin, um, where to quote Mark Twain, uh, you know, never let school get in the way of your education. I found myself back in back in the stomping grounds and, you know, messed around with uh, the whole day job thing for um, about three years and figured out that a night job was more uh, was more befitting of my uh, my way of life and um, took a you know, I've been, and I guess I've been working in in the in nightlife and hospitality ever since. So, how old are you, and where in the city do you live now? Thirty-one years of age. Uh, I live on the Upper East Side with my fiance and our two cats. Um, although I might actually be um, headed back downtown relatively soon because we're um, we're doing a big uh, renovation job on our apartment. So. Um, but actually it times out really well because things that, you know, at, at my existing, uh, businesses are really picking up and we have, um, a few projects in the pipeline as well. So we're in kind of like a rapid expansion phase and I lose so much time, um, on a, on a daily basis, just commuting, yeah. uh, you know, because I like to, I like to go down during the day for administrative meetings and then go down during the night for to just oversee service. So um, I'm just, I'm really going to enjoy uh, this moment, you know, probably about a year, you know, I think actually funny enough, um, as you can imagine, there's, there's quite a backlog for certain construction materials right now because of COVID. So mm-hmm. I told, I told my contractor, take your time, you know, and, and uh, maybe I'll just enjoy a few extra months downtown while I'm at it. Yeah, it's not even just construction. It's it's furniture. Like, I was down in Miami, like, redoing my apartment down there, and it took forever to get things delivered. And I had a friend who was like, I went to Ikea the other day, and all of these things were backordered because so many people are moving right now. Yeah, it's crazy. Before we get too deep in any of this, I... Amazing also- segue, by the way. <laughs> I also ask everybody what their favorite spots are to go out and eat or, you know, party at in New York. And this is an interesting question for you because you're in the space. There you go. Um, well, I'm embarrassed to say, although, you know, I'm sure that many of my peers can relate that I, I really don't get out very much um, because typically I'm tending to matters on the, the home fort, although I have been, you know, making a concerted effort more so pre you know before the before covid to just go and and visit you know my uh, my peers and check out their spots and see what else is going on um in the scene if you want to call it that um in terms of food i'm i'm a big sushi guy um so i actually live i'm on 74th um between lex and third so i live kind of in like the bermuda triangle of omakase so we've got um uh, Tenoshi, which is yeah. in my in my mind um, the best um, cost to value ratio in the city, and it's also BYOB. Um, if you happen to go, just uh, ask for Tomoki; uh, he's he's uh, excellent. And then also within a three block radius is Sushi Ishikawa, which is um, uh, founded by. A, a Vietnamese chef and dear friend of mine named Don Pham. Also within three blocks is Sushi Naz, which is, I would really consider the apex uh, sushi in New York City and 
probably the best thing that you can find without uh, purchasing a ticket to Narita. Um, uh, really the best offering domestically, both in terms of like the, the, the ambiance, the presentation component, uh, the service, and then the fish sourcing as well is really sublime. You get a lot of, a lot of seasonal fare that um, uh, just like in a constantly rotating and evolving menu. And uh, he's also very innovative in terms of presentation. So that would really be like my, that's, that's my sushi itinerary that I just uh, provided to you. That's the top tier. And, and then uh, from a cocktail standpoint, um, I'm really big into sakes and mezcals. Mm -hmm. So that's like, I could, those are really like the two spirits that I've been championing as of late. So anywhere with a really good mezcal selection, Atla uh, comes to mind mm-hmm. um, over on, I think that's on Great Jones Street. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, re- I went to a really amazing um, uh, restaurant in Gowanus the other day that had an exceptional, um, it's called Contra, a oh, really yeah. good mezcal menu. And, and they actually, they do a, a chef's, chef's pairing um mm. uh with and like that you that you can get alongside your prefix but then they also have um a specific mezcal pairing recommended for each individual course that they offer as well um which i think is really innovative i'm just always like like really interested in um how like operators go about building up uh categories of, of spirits that they really believe in mm-hmm. um, because it's very challenging to get people to take chances on, you know, discovering new types of, of, uh, of drinks. And so you have to come up with a very resourceful plan to coax them out of their comfort zone. I mean, my friends and, and my fiance, Danielle, all kind of joke around that um, my Achilles heel is I like to mix lots of different types of spirits over the course of the night, which now as I've gotten into my thirties, like I'm starting to, um, to, to reap the, uh, the, you know, punishment of that on the back end the next day. If you're only starting to feel it now, that's good because I feel like I'm already spent and I'm 24. Well, the one, the one concession that I made, that I made, um, was, you know, giving up for loco. That was something that really carried me through my early twenties. So I think four logo to mezcal is a is a good palette jump. What you should do if you haven't, and don't kill me, but I haven't been to make believe in like mm-hmm. years. Like I, I think I went like once a long time ago. But if you don't have a four loco cocktail, that seems like something you might be missing out on. So it's funny that you mentioned that because. Um, I actually considered it. I initially, the plan was that I was going to, um, and you know, if there's any other industry folks out there and you want to, uh, to take this idea, it's fair game because I didn't, I didn't execute on it, but, um, my plan was to kind of have a, a space in the menu, um, like a little gap in between under, you know, underneath the cocktail, uh, portion of the menu and in there in an invisible ink, uh, would be our 10th cocktail, which would be hidden, and it would be called the Mind Eraser. So you'd really need a black light in order to find it, which seems very college appropriate. Um, and that would be a Watermelon Four loco, which was our, our favorite flavor. Well, I don't want to give away anything yet, but whatever your next venture might be, uh, you should do like a friends and family Four loco thing <laughs> and then just let everyone go crazy. I actually found, um, you know, the nice thing about the the new space that you're alluding to, which which we can we can name drop. It's called Outer Heaven, and it's uh, it's coming in Q4 of 2021, so it'll be Very out earlier exciting. this year. <laughs> um, so we have a lot of back of house space. We have uh, we have an abundance of back of house space, and um, and so I was actually thinking about maybe fermenting my own lokes down there. Oh my um, god. If, if, if everything works out. Yeah. I found a home, a home recipe. So we'll that see. would be incredible. Should we talk about dating? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, I can talk about food and drink like yeah. all day for loco podcasts. So yes, <laughs> we should talk about dating, which is the entire reason why we're here. Um, 
Although I do think a lot of people take really good insight from like both our Instagram and I think from the podcast about people's recommendations about where to go out, mm-hmm. where to eat, where to drink. And so this conversation in has, any regards will be helpful. Has to anybody somebody. ever asked you for on air for your recommendations? On air? Um, I, no, I don't think on air, but it's <laughs> my recommendation list is like, Endless, but endless. If you, if you had to give just one, it it doesn't exist anymore. But did you grow up on the Upper East Side? I did. Did you ever go to Pintali's Pizza? I I went to Pintali's many a time. Um, that's that's that was back in my skirt chasing days because <laughs> there was a lot of pleated skirts up there, um, and it was actually on my walk home from St. Bernard's to my to my uh, to my apartment. So. <laughs> amazing uh whole whole wheat pizza and good people watching oh my god that well yes because that's right where I went to school and I was also in one of those skirts for a little bit but uh Pintali's was my and it's such a specific slice and only people who grew up in New York like really know and love it but that is one of my favorite favorite things in the world if you're ever feeling nostalgic there's actually an Instagram account called Yorkville Treasure and I mean nostalgic AKA if you ever want to get depressed because all of these amazing mom and pop, you know, entrepreneurial establishments are now like soul cycles and Apple stores and banks. The fact like that you even know when Pintalis is like, that was everything to me. And one of my best friends growing up, like still one of my closest friends during quarantine, we went, we were like on a mission to try and recreate it. (laughs) So we spent like, Every week we would get together. I had I bought a pizza stone and we just like tried really hard to recreate the dough and we got close, but I'm no chef. So if you ever come across a similar pie to Pintali's, I haven't, but if you do, let me know. I will run there. Maybe it's nostalgia. There's this place really close to me on the Upper West Side called Chinaro's and it has the best gnocchi I've ever had. It has my favorite salad in the world. Like I would go there and eat dinner and then uh, and the salad is so good. It's like frise and Bosch pears and like a little bit of truffle oil and walnuts and pecorino. It's so, so good. That salad, I have never had something like it anywhere else. Then drinks, like one of my favorite bars is Katana Kitten in the West Village. Mm-hmm. They make this like, I'm very much a vodka person. They make this like melon lime soda with like it's just the freshest cleanest drink it's so good uh, I could drink like a million of those and I just like love the environment it's like chilled but the drinks are amazing and the owner is always there and I appreciate that so he's he's awesome like love shout out Katana Kitten that's my favorite like one of my favorite bars I've like had some of the best nights at like Good Room in Brooklyn I think that I think that you're going to see on on the heels of this whole COVID thing, people, um, you know, rediscovering um, their their favorite places that they used to go before. I think that this this is going to be like the summer of nostalgia. Yeah. Well, you guys stayed open throughout the pandemic, right? So we For stayed, when you could. Yeah, we stayed open. Uh, we we reopened in July, and we. Um, and then we stayed open until December. And then when the 10 o'clock curfew hit, that was when it just became, um, you know, too difficult to operate. Uh, so then we shut it down for a bit and we reopened in April. Um, and that, you know, there was a confluence of factors that kind of like supported our opening uh, when we did reopen. And we knew that we had a lot of downhill momentum at that point because we were entering what, would, what I would typically consider our high season. And then about three weeks ago, we reopened in earnest, like full um, COVID kind, like pre-COVID with just like an honor system, just, you know, uh, the expectation, much like, you know, you would you would expect at Equinox, for example, that if you are on premise and you are walking around without a mask, that you that you have been double vaccinated. But I think that this fall, we're going to see a lot of our favorite places reopen and I, for one, am very excited to go and uh, enjoy a drink at uh, some of my peers' bars and pay for it, you know, because I think that now is not the time to be asking for comps. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, be it tickets or or drinks. I think that it's really important to think, you know, consider what the hospitality industry has gone through when whenever you ask for a free drink or a free ticket nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I also think this is a good opportunity. I know we had mentioned it a little bit before, but that you are opening a new space and it's coming in the fall. Do you want to like talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, so Outer Heaven is uh, my next, um, my next, I guess, offering, and in many respects, it's a it's a culmination of um, kind of like everything that I've learned and observed um, in my time working in this industry. Um, you know, all of the tenets and principles that um, you know that have that I've come by, and you know, many experiences that I've kind of learned the hard way and, um, and kind of just applying all of that nightlife hospitality. It's a very sensual experience. And of course there is, you know, the obvious, um, you know, uh, hearing in terms of the music programming, uh, you know, taste in terms of the food and drink that you offer on premise and your beverage program. Um, you know, there's, there's sight in terms of the ambiance, the decor, and then the, the people who inhabit it. Um, there's smell. I think that that's like a really un- underlooked one. Um, every space should have its own uh, iconic and unique scent and um, consensual touch, you know, because uh, I think that, you know, people are going to really enjoy uh, like being in close proximity to strangers again and all the chance encounters that kind of come with that. So, Which is a great segue. I think like I would love to hear one about your insights being in the nightlife space about one now, what, you, what you're seeing, how you're seeing people interact. Do you think it's different than it was prior? Yeah, so um, it's very early. You know, I have like a three-week sample size, but one thing I've learned for sure is that Um, people have forgotten their alcohol tolerance. So um, we're like carrying people out left and right. With something like make-believe and in your experience, do you guys try and curate the crowd of people who come in? Like how does your door work? Yeah, so I actually, I really believe in what I call um, structured inclusivity, which is the notion that, you know, I think it's really hilarious that um, in every other industry, we are celebrating inclusivity, um, you know, positivity, uh, equality, and and then and then in nightlife, and have like it's like we're living in the stone age in terms of everything is predicated upon like your physical appearance and um, how much money you have, like your perceived value, um, and so you know that's like a, something that like weighs really heavy on me, and I just like kind of come to battle with every single day. Like, how can I be inclusive and open my space to everyone and then still be considered like cool in the eyes of the public, which I mm-hmm. guess like, you know, is a, a strong determining factor in, you know, how successful your business will be. So, so that's where structured inclusivity comes into play, which is the notion that like you let the, um, you let the demand for the space and uh, the scarcity of, uh, of space that we have inform kind of how quote unquote strict you are at the door. So, you know, the idea is that, uh, you know, we want to encourage everybody to come and enjoy the space. And then also we have to be conscious to the fact that, you know, it is a hundred capacity and we're open seven nights a week. Uh, we open at 6 PM during the weekdays and, and 2 PM on weekends. So I joke that like any time that it would be socially acceptable for you to drink, we will be there. Um, <laughs> To, to offer them. And then from a dating standpoint, I really think that, um, well, it's, it's so funny because I really feel like we're skewing more and more digital. Like imagine, just think about how destigmatized apps have become um, over the last three years where it used to be really frowned upon um, to meet somebody on an app. And now you're seeing like the second, like first and second generation of like, you know, uh, uh, marriages and and families forming from apps. And I think that we're seeing the power of apps um, really come into play. And so we are fighting the good fight against the apps, you know, like we're, we're creating a a space where people can, can come and try to meet others. 
Um, and so I guess what I would, what I would say my, my PSA would be, um, just keep an open mind and, and, you know, go into every conversation with, um, with an open mind, because I think that more and more we've been conditioned to reach conclusions and assumptions based on people's appearance, um, and learn to engage people, um, on, on platforms that interest them. And, uh, I think that you'll be really, really surprised. Like, you know, maybe, maybe it's not a relationship, but maybe a good friendship comes of it. You know, maybe you meet your, your soulmate. Um, but I just, you know, I think that people pre not pre pandemic, you saw people really shielded, like they would come with their friends and, you know, if they're with a group of friends, it, the friends can almost form like this in, impenetrable circle around them where it becomes almost like so difficult to engage without the leery eyes of, you know, their girlfriends or guy friends, whatever it, it may be. And, and so I really hope that you see those, those impenetrable circles kind of opening up and more of like a free flowing amorphous uh, blob of people kind of forming throughout these different venues and people seeking out new friendships. And, you know, now that we're out of the pandemic, we can really look at it as like a, a globally shared trauma. So, so I don't want to make light of it, but I think that also we need to use this opportunity to um, take inventory of, you know, what's really important to us socially and, and not be averse to, um, you know, chance encounters, because that's mm -hmm. something that we've been desperately missing over these past 16 months. So it's nice, it's nice to see that kind of returning and boy, like seeing the joy on my DJ's faces um, is, is really encouraging. And then seeing the joy on my staff faces too, because I feel, you know, a, a great deal of, um, you know, responsibility for, um, you know, for their well-being, and that was tough, also, um, yeah. because because it it was really difficult to explain to them that we would be closing at at like despite how successful um, the the venue was. That that has happened to me once before, where um, uh, at my pre at one of my previous ventures, we found out that um, the guy who we had done the deal with was kind of like uh, embezzling funds from the business and wasn't intending on, uh, on paying my partner Thatcher and I kind of like our, um, our distributions. And we had to close down yet again at the, at the height of our, uh, popularity. And that was a really bitter pill to swallow for the staff too. So I never, never in a million years did I anticipate that I would have to go through that again, explaining to the staff that we had to close down when the business was doing so well. And mm -hmm. you fast forward three years and, and that happened once more. And, Oh, it's been, it's been a grueling, grueling past few months, but can I tell you that, you know, these past three weeks have validated, you know, everything and, um, never once did I consider, you know, changing professions or anything like that. I did take up writing, uh, which has been incredibly gratifying for me, but, um, boy, I, I really think that, you know, seeing the city bounce back in such a meaningful way, um, it really warms my heart. <laughs> you brought up a really good, a, lots of really good points. One about inclusivity. I think it's super interesting that it's not something that I thought about that much, but it makes a lot of sense in nightlife. Being exclusive is cool. And right now being inclusive in every other industry is like wh what people are striving to be. So it's like, how do you marry the two of those together? And I think of like spaces in the city that have succeeded in one, like, you look at something like House of Yes, which is like one of the most inclusive spaces for anybody and it's still cool and people still want to go. And then you look at something like Paul's. Ra or radically, Acme. radically inclusive, I would say, House of Yes. Totally radically inclusive. I just feel like, you know, maybe, may, you're right, you're right. We, we, we are not going to stoop to generalizations, but I just think that we kind of touched on, on you know, one of the ugly you know, uh, uh, aspects of nightlife, which is anytime that there is a, a cultural movement that has um, a great deal of energy about it, it gets appropriated and, repur mm -hmm. and repurposed for the uber rich. Um, and so I think that's what, what you're really seeing here, where, you know, people 
you know, it's not about the music anymore. It's not about the inclusivity. Like everybody's too whacked out to even like notice like what's going on. Um, yeah. And and it's just more about really like the like the extracurriculars, if you could call it that. Mm, yeah. Well, inclu- so inclusivity, exclusivity, like that's all a very interesting part of nightlife. And I mean, I'm I'm seeing it happen again. Like people are clamoring to get in at the door. Like this past weekend, I was at Acme, and there was like just swarms of people just standing like waiting trying to get in and I was like I actually find that in a weird way and maybe it's because we're all secretly sadomasochists but like people like being said no to yeah I mean I feel like people I think people get joy in saying no and I think people get joy in watching other people be like being said no to I think that I think that in life one of the most important skills that you can learn is is when to say no um, in, in anything. But uh, one of the things that I always explicate to my door staff is, I, and I reinforce, like, you must be what I call politely dismissive, you know, that we're not in the business of ruining people's nights. And mm. the, I think that it's, there. Uh, I guess, like, it's the old guard, the old way of, um, you know, nightlife where, to, to be rude to people at the door. A lot of these hospitality people don't realize that the, the in nightlife, the experience happens, starts before people even step foot inside your venue. It starts with their experience at the door. And totally. if, if you treat, mistreat people, then they're going to, that, that sets the tone for the rest of the entire experience once they arrive on premise. Now we're touching on a different uh, innate skill that a doorman must possess, which is like, in your brief 15 to 20 second encounter with somebody being able to perceive, and I know that this word gets overused these days, but like perceive their vibe, you know, like what, what is their intent uh, on coming um, as, a, and, and, and that is something that uh, is uh, it, it extends beyond their, their physical appearance. It's something that is, you know, within them. So mm-hmm. um, you really have to be, have like kind of like a Jedi mindset at the door to to be a good door person but the best the best of them do totally it's also interesting because you are curating a space right for connection which is why i think nightlife is really interesting and why i think thought you would be such a great person to come on the podcast because you see things that most people probably don't see in multi like in droves i'm sure because you have the experience of going out every day yeah you start to see shit uh that you typically don't see um uh you know and and it's uh some of it can be really alarming and some of it can be really hilarious and there's always something you know there's always a lot of activity and it never gets old and i think that at the end of the day there's two types of nightlife operators there's there's the people who um you know, use this career and this uh, platform to leverage their own uh, personal social standing. And then there's people who derive pleasure from creating spaces for others to enjoy. And, and yeah, and so I just, I love kind of seeing the action uh, on a nightly basis. It never gets old. And, um, you know, I feel really fortunate that uh, all of my different projects that I've ever launched that, you know, people seem to really come and enjoy them. And so there's always like a great deal of activity. I've never been for want of, of, uh, of people within the club. Um, and so it really allows me to kind of just like sit back and relax and, um, and, and watch the show. <laughs> Do you have any like fun or crazy or favorite stories of things that you've seen or witnessed? So, so I do, uh, but you'll have to buy my comic book uh, to find out. <laughs> shameless plug i recently wrote and um it's actually it'll probably be out by the time um by the time this this is published so maybe we'll drop the link in the show notes but um yeah uh, uh, a collection of short stories based around uh uh fictional you know somewhat fictional events that occurred uh within my first venue the black lodge um but yeah every single night you see it you see it playing out um hundreds and hundreds of times 
um, there's a lot of fearless dude bros out there, you know? There um, are a lot of fearless dude bros out there. <laughs> and and then you couple of that with the fact that people are not aware of their tolerance uh, these days. And, and then you add the element that, you know, on Saturday we have at Make Believe what we call the never-ending Gardy. So, you know, we're busy from 3 p.m. until 3 a.m. And there, there was a moment pre-pandemic, you know, where we would we would have kind of like a like a self-imposed turndown hour where we we would kill the music from eight to nine and that would allow like a natural flow of people out of the venue and then we would kind of reset the room for the nighttime crowd. Mm-hmm. That is just like not a thing anymore. You know, <laughs> people are just staying through. And so it's really funny when you have people arriving at 10 p.m., 11 p.m. and then you have people um people still there from 3 p.m. and just like they're at such different wavelengths but the but the 3 p.m. guys uh hitting on the 11 p.m. girls it usually yields very catastrophic results um and and I've just been enjoying witnessing that from afar from a No safe, that's fascinating. I feel like I need to come and watch that from If like- I ever if I ever have um have any good ones unfurling right before my eyes i'll i'll give you a text and see what if you're in the neighborhood we can get some popcorn and and i would love that that (laughs) sounds like so much fun so what about you you are engaged and you've traversed this scene you grew up in new york what's your story yeah so um word to any native new yorkers don't don't date within new york um i got lucky i found a beautiful lady from Canada, uh, who I'm, who I'm going to make my bride. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that don't date within, within the city. Don't, don't let's, let's clarify. Don't date within the city in terms of like other native New Yorkers. Yes. Okay. Yes. And mind you, you know, it seems like we're an endangered species. Um, That's true. so, so I'm sure that, you know, this is a very rare occurrence, but I find that, I find that also like my single New York friends, they just, continue going back towards like going back to the well in terms of like high school flings mm. and, you know, high school sceney flings. Um, and yeah, there's just like a lot of, a lot of baggage there. Oh so, yeah. So don't do that. And um, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess that my experience is kind of endemic to, um, to nightlife. Um, and, and, you know, I guess like being inside of a club and, uh, during the weekends and, you know, especially that more often than, than not, um, my, my, my better half is not there. Um, and although, although she does really enjoy coming, um, and I, and, and I really built outer heaven with both of us in mind. So I think that she's going to like that one even more. Um, and so how did you meet her? Well, we met at a club. So, uh, not at Acme, um, (laughs) But we met at uh, at a nightclub called Provocateur, mm-hmm. and it's funny because that that was also a very sceny place. But uh, we immediately bonded over a love for um, for underground music, and so I quickly disseminated that she wasn't like those other girls, and that was yeah, that was all I needed. And then it turned out that we had like a fuck ton of similarities, and that was like okay, like this is weird. You're my soulmate, um, <laughs> and it's been. It's been hunk- everything's been hunky dory ever since. Um, How long ago was that? That was about that was about six years ago. Um, wow! And, and when did you propose? About three years ago, um, and we would have been married were it not for uh, for those that pesky pandemic <laughs> and and that pup Scooby Doo. But um, but yeah, we pushed it because, as you can imagine, you know, I've spent I've spent you know more time than not throwing parties uh, my entire life and the wedding's got to be the best one you know i mean that's you true only, you only get one so unless you're elizabeth taylor so um uh so i just really wanted to make that the best one and the party was so important to us that we said you know what, let's just let's just let it rock as fiancés for for a couple i, I guess like you know she's french canadian and i it's so funny because I thought I always thought the fiance was a French word. I mean, it sounds French as hell, right? Yeah, fiance. Um, but they don't actually use um, that term in uh, in in French. So what do they say? 
Well, it's actually kind of awkward because it's like, I guess it's like friend. So, so there was still a moment where like my soon to be in-law was like, oh, this is Danielle's friend. And I'm like, oh, hey, I'm Jack. But uh, quickly got over that. And, um, and yeah, we've been, we've been rocking. But, but all that is to say, key ingredient in this entire equation that makes it worse it work is a, uh, you know, a great deal of trust, which was earned, mm-hmm. uh, not given. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very nice guy, uh, and I have a hard time. Um, I really, you know, sometimes let patrons, um, you know, just like impose their will upon me, like at the club, uh, Mm. not, not so much. I don't give out freebies. Um, but, but a lot of times I will like, I will like swallow my pride for like patron because I realize that like, you know, they're there to have fun and I'm there to supervise and, so, you know, it's like unstoppable force meets immovable object and something's got to give. So I usually seed, seed ground, but like actually the, the one place where I've had to learn a rigorous discipline is like not letting uh, females behind the DJ booth, because that was something that like, you know, became like an early uh, conversation, uh, you know, where it's like, I need to trust that um, when you are, uh, like when you're alone that, you know, I just want, I would feel better if there weren't girls back there with you. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> so I've gotten a lot better at that, but now my, my partner has this, has this habit that he's formed where he just like drops like a gaggle of females behind the booth, like daycare and then just abandons them. Oh, no. So, um, is your partner single? He's very single. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, but it's almost like he meets these, like he'll meet the girls and then he'll drop them off and then go pick up more girls. And so I get left like almost like, like daycare, um, <laughs> watching them and, and it drives and sometimes my fiance is there and it drives her crazy because like, you know, she, um, you know, for a long, 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 long time, we gave him the benefit of the doubt and we'd be so friendly and accommodating. But now like our patience is just like worn <laughs> to the point where it's like, can we, can we just like get these people out of here? Like, it's, we're just, you might need to like make a special like little playpen for <laughs> his women. Well, so I'm actually, you know, so, so that was a big component, but we talked earlier about how outer heaven is very much about like learning from your mistakes. Uh-huh. And so, so for this one, it's like, that DJ booth is literally going to be like a fortress you know, in terms of like, there's going to be a keypad. I'm changing the code monthly. Like um, it's going to be elevated to the point where people can't request Despacito. Um, and, and the, the, the booth itself is made out of concrete. So I'm literally making it a very foreboding and unwelcoming type of brutalist structure uh, deliberately so that I can like maintain the integrity of the space behind me and, and um, my fiance, if she so chooses to elect to uh, go home early that night, she knows that I've, uh, you know, that I'm kind of, I'm safed and safe and, locked and, down. and insulated from, from any unwanted attention. So there you go. Yeah. Well, that's, that was going to be one of my questions, which is being in nightlife, like, and being in a relationship are really hard things to do. And I've had other people in nightlife, involved in nightlife on my podcast before, and it is strenuous if your partner is not in nightlife as well because you're working completely different hours and you are around a lot of drunk people all the time and inhibitions are lowered. Yeah, well, you have to. Um, one of the so so Sunday is the is the one day that we both have off in common, and so we really make a concerted effort to just like make that you know, a day just for the two of us, we go to JG Mellon, once it opens at 11.30. And then typically we spend the rest of the day on our sofa, playing video games, watching movies, uh, cook dinner for each other. That I just, I, I, I do know, I do have a lot of friends in the service industry who kind of get wrapped up together because it is such a strenuous way of life. And, you know, holidays are, are of the utmost importance. So you don't get to go back home. I mean, it really inverses your free time so much so that like, I feel really bad, like, because despite the fact that I've created a space um, where my my personal friends can congregate um, tip- at typical instances where my friends would want to gather, um, and like if, it, if it's a birthday or something like that, I have to work. 
Um, and so I have friends who, who don't, I have a great deal of friends who still come, come by make believe and continue to support us. And I have friends who don't like it anymore and they don't like coming. They've kind of grown out of it. Um, and so, you know, those are the ones who you have to make a deliberate effort to, uh, to, to, to seek out moments where you can get together. I find it so fascinating that, you know, we're in New York city where everybody's within a, a, a five mile radius of one another. And yet it's almost like we're busier than ever. And, yeah. and, and it's so easy to make plans, but it's very difficult to kind of follow through on them. And, you know, there's this interesting, uh, principle, uh, called the Dunbar number. Um, it's basically this philosophical concept that um, you can, uh, like an average human can only maintain 150 relationships at any given time. Mm. So that's where, you know, artificial societal constructs come into play because that allows us to expand that number. So it could be anything from school, religion, law, sports team affiliation, uh, uh and establishments that you enjoy frequenting and you develop kind of like these periphery simplex uh, relationships that, um, you know, as opposed to a complex relationship, these simplex relationships where you, you engage uh, another human on very, on a very specific wavelength and nothing more. And that's where, you know, I guess like a, um, like a colloquial way of referring to that could be like party friends, you know, like we all have like authentic friendships where it's like this person will be there for me in in the hard times uh not just the good times and then we have um and then we have you know those periphery party friends who they're very important too you know like both are are i'm not diminishing uh the importance of a party friend because they fill a very important role i think in all of our social lives um but it's really interesting seeing like i i constantly feel like like that like that Dunbar equation is in a state of flux for me where I have party friends who become real friends. I have real friends who just drop, drop off the face of the earth. You know, maybe they start a family and whatnot. You know, mm -hmm. I feel really fortunate that, you know, my fiance and I have, have used my career as a means of kind of like extending our social life um, mm -hmm. where, you know, uh, you know, we certainly have uh, aspirations to start a family within within the next couple of years. But I feel like even then, you know, like like just just the simple reality that I need to be on premise um, that we'll figure it out. You know, we'll figure out a way to to continue our social life. Um, um, you know, I think that you know now I'm of the mindset where I really would like to only build um, concepts that. Uh, speak to where I am at uh, in my life. So maybe they're a little bit older, a little bit more mature and more refined, you know, um, so that way I can kind of prolong, um, you know, my social life because I don't want to be that kind of creepy old dude um, who's there like in a room with a bunch of people who are 20 years my junior, um, which I'm sure will happen at make-believe at some juncture because we, we skew a little bit younger there. Um, but, but then, but, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. But I think that that'll happen very organically because it's like in any creative process, like you should always, you know, play to the audience of one and create something that really speaks to you. Um, yeah. Because that's how you will derive the best results. So uh, Outer Heaven is very much, uh, you know, a nightclub that's designed for a uh, late 20s, early 30s year old, 30 year old, because that's where I'm at uh, in my journey. And and so. I wanted to create a space that, you know, myself and by transitive property, you know, all of my friends would come by and, and enjoy on, on a regular basis. And that's what you did also previously. And those spaces reflected where you were in your life at that point. Yeah. So make believe if it does skew younger, you also launched it a few years ago. So mm -hmm. it, and, it makes sense. And I think it's also, I think that, you know, the best nightlife venues are very reactionary. So you really have to take inventory on what is available to you domestically, uh, what is available and locally, I should say, what is available to you um, internationally. I think that obviously, you know, other countries are a lot more progressive and, and uh, forward thinking in terms of their nightlife concepts. So it, it would do everyone a great deal of good um, to kind of, you know, travel and get context um and then and then put your own spin on it yeah one of the things i also want to know is because you've seen and you've experienced so much of nightlife 
What's the best way to meet somebody while you're out? Because I think you made a really good point, and the whole reason I even started this podcast is because things are incredibly digital, and yeah. now we have this chance uh, where people are craving in person things. So how do you how do you help facilitate that, and how do you think you can help give other people some advice on? how to get out of their comfort zone. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm a, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a couple of years removed from the game, but, what, but you know, I have, I have friends who, you know, are single and do very well for themselves. And, um, and so if I was, like, just from observing them, um, one, of, one of the biggest things I would say is be a good listener, you know? Um, have, have a genuine curiosity uh, when you're engaging in a conversation. Train yourself, rather than being reactive, reactionary and, and, and thinking and preparing the next thing you're going to say. Um, because I find that then you get so consumed in, in your own thought to what your, what your response will be that you don't actually do any good listening. Um, and then also like, like as, as an extension of that curiosity, uh, like I mentioned earlier, learn to engage people, uh, on things that actually interest them. Um, because, if you can be a um, like a lover of the world and everything in it, and and learn obscure facts, and uh, you know constantly be uh, learning new things, then you'll be surprised. Like these these like the science the signs are out there, but the uh, the reason that that we perceive them is because our brains are on a on an unconscious level. Um, uh, condition to look for them, you know? So when you take interest in a certain topic, whatever it might be, and that, that topic appears in media or it comes up in conversation, you're taking notice to it because your brain is telling you like, yes, this, this really appeals to me. And so when you find that in a person, then that's something that you really need to seek out. Um, and then, a self-actualized human or a human who's who's on the path to self-actualization will always make for um, a more desirable partner than somebody who hasn't quite figured it out and isn't really intent on figuring it out and is kind of like going where the currents may take them. I think this was an interesting point you brought up earlier, like making sure that you pay the ticket to get in, you're paying for your drinks, you're not asking for free things. I As much fun this summer is going to be it's going to be a very expensive summer because even those like underground parties that you're talking about everything is ticketed and I think that people know in this moment that nightlife is a necessity for a lot of people and it's a way of release and it's a service you're providing somebody and there's a cost associated with that and it's important to people who are listening that when you do go to the bar, you do go to a club, and they're they are asking for money. It is it's for a reason. Yeah, support support your friends' creative endeavors always. Well, I think you're uniquely positioned. I think, <laughs> in terms of where you're headed in the next few months, like it's, I think the past three weeks have been any indication. It's going to be an absolutely insane summer and fall and everything else if things continue on this upward trajectory fingers crossed we end every uh episode of drinks first with something we call shots which are this or that questions so i'm just gonna ask you like rapid fire questions and i I'm, i want you to respond let's do it all right early bird or night owl night owl work hard or play hard both in equal measure is that kind of they blend <laughs> together so dine out or delivery Dine out, please. <laughs> Laundry or dishes? My, my fiance is going to listen to this. And if I don't say neither, she's going to call me a liar. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, TikTok or Instagram? Instagram. I'm trying to figure out the TikTok thing, but it's not really working for me. I actually, <laughs> I've seen make believe on TikTok a Dude, lot. Make believe is very popular on TikTok. Like my, my, my 14 year old niece sent me a, a video because it appeared on her, whatever her algorithm. Um, but uh, yeah, shout out to my friends, uh, Elizabeth and uh, Alexa, because they're really spearheading the TikTok movement for us. 
Money or fame? Um, that's a tough one. I would say, well, I want to say money because because um, I, I really want to enjoy my life and and put, leave my leave my family and posterity in a in a position for where, where they can ultimately enjoy all the things that I've enjoyed um, having you know lived a life of immense privilege. Thanks, mom and dad. Um, but uh, then I also want to say fame because uh, you know they say that you you die two times uh, in this life when when you take your last breath and when the last person says your name and you know perhaps um perhaps this may sound uh, vain of me but um i really hope that i can at least create something that um will live beyond me and so that's that's where my writing has really been very gratifying so mm. what's your favorite season um season 4 of the wire um, no, definitely fall. Coffee or drink state? Matcha. Oh, I, uh, I love oh, matcha. But but uh, date date drinks for sure. Um, yeah, like I said, sake and mezcal. Those are those are my two pillars. Um, and you know, sake is a very pernicious drunk. It sneaks up on you. <laughs> and mezcal, I just find is like the more sophisticated uh, cousin of tequila. Tequila, so. yeah. Well, this is a sidebar because I love matcha, but where do, where do you like to go for matcha? So, uh, well, I, um, you know, I'm biased because I was an early investor in matcha bar. So I want to say mm. that, that, you know, despite the fact that they've curtailed their uh, brick and mortar footprint um, uh, pre-pandemic, actually. So they were a little bit prescient in that regard. Um, but I do, I do enjoy home, their, their home delivery, which is available on Amazon. And, you know, they, the, the, the product itself is, is a very unique hue of green, uh, which is, you know, the best way of determining the quality. Um, but recently also I've, I've gone full matcha nerd and, um, you know, I started messing around with, um, uh, competition winning matcha from tea dealers, which is like a little mm-hmm. shop, um, in the East Village. Yeah, I was and, gonna say, yeah, yeah, it's in the East Village. And, and they have amazing, uh, not just Japanese teas, but amazing Chinese and Korean teas. There's actually a lesser known uh, Korean green tea called Wujon, uh, mm. which is incredibly um, light and aromatic. So uh, I've been on my Wujon tip recently. Ooh, and that sounds delicious. Yeah, and um, so yeah, broadening broadening my tea horizons, but matcha bar matcha was really the gateway for me. Oh, and if, if you like matcha, have you been to People in Brooklyn? Mm, Definitely go there. It it's just spelled P P L, and it's like this tiny shop with like a lot of plants, and it's run by this Japanese guy, and he gets just like his matcha and hojicha like straight from Japan, mm. and he prepares it in like the most traditional way. It's Great. You should go there. <laughs> Let's keep going with these shots. I'm really enjoying this. Keep them coming. <laughs> spicy or mild? Spicy. Spicy for sure. Uh, spicy. Like I like those really like 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 those Sichuan peppercorns that mm-hmm. like make your mouth numb. Like like they're like Novocaine oh, yeah. and, and just like almost like the best spices are the ones that have that kind of like metallic coldness to them. So give me all of that. That's also one of the things that I – didn't mention if I had one more day in New York. One thing I always do is go and get dim sum. Mm. I the like the Chinese food in New York is unparalleled. Getting buns from Golden Steamer, that's like a, a lovely ritual for me. Golden Steamer, uh, that's like pretty uh brave to name your restaurant that uh because <laughs> you know, but I guess after you go to Golden Steamer, you make your own Golden Steamer. Um but no, I love spices of all types. You know, talk about you know, last night on earth though, I guess it's so funny because I feel like a lot of the best cuisines, unfortunately, like don't really pair well with a night on the town. Like my friends keep mm-hmm. telling me to go check out this Indian place, um, Damaka on, uh, in Essex market, but, um, and I'm dying to, apparently they have these goat testicles, which are sublime. Um, but like, it's very apparently I was like, so is this a place that I can go before a night out? And they're like, no, nah, dude, this is this is a night. This is a night ender. So. It's a night. <laughs> I've never heard of that place. I, I don't often go out for Indian food because we eat it at home, but mm. might have to might have to make a trip. 
Oh, also speaking of tea and, and Indian things, um, there's something called Samahan. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I'm actually I'm drinking it right now because nice. it's a blend of 14 herbs and it comes in just like these tiny little packets and you you rip it. It's not even like you don't get the herbs. It like dissolves. I don't know how they make it. And I don't know where you buy it. We just have bulk packets of them in my house because they're really good for your immune system. And when you have a cold, if I next time I see you, I'll bring you some packets of this. Okay. What is your drink of choice? Man. Okay. Well, um, I like stuff neat. So I've really been enjoying this Ray Campero. Um, it's called Sierra Negra Mezcal. Uh, they have it available at Aster Wine and Spirits. Um, and then at Make Believe, obviously, I love, I, you know, a drink that will continue to appear in any nightlife-related venue that I do is the Spicy Macharita, which is our take on, uh, you know, spicy margarita. But we add a little bit of matcha to the equation. And most recently, my my beverage director, Alex Smith, who's just an absolute wizard, came up with this Mezcal Negroni. Um, so it's Mezcal, um, Luxardo Bitter Bianco, which is like a better tasting version of Campari without all the, um, like, uh, artificial coloring. Um, Amaro Montenegro, um, Umami Bitters, and, uh, and Sake. So we use like a Junmai Sake because it has like a very nice sweetness to it. And... Those things are freaking lethal, man. Like you have two of those, like everybody come to make believe and try this Mezcal Negroni because that's like a, an adult for loco because it's like two and two and you're done, you know, three, <laughs> two and you're, you're, you're feeling really good three and you're blacking out. Um, and so if you're really trying to fast track your night, uh, yeah, our, our Mezcal Negroni I've really been enjoying recently. Well, I, I think you're really on something in terms of this adult before loco situation and <laughs> it's something you should probably look into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite song at the moment? Okay, well, oh shit, I guess I have to um, I have to look it up on iTunes because I forgot the name. So there's this really talented um, uh, singer. He's He's Brazilian, but he's from Tel Aviv. His name is Abrao. That's his stage name. His name is Abrao Levine. Um, and he sings on a lot of like really good house music tracks. Like he's a frequent collaborator of Red Axes, who are my favorite DJs. And he recently did a track with um, this up and coming uh, Israeli DJ called Kino Toto. I'm looking at it right now. It's called A Grande Idea, A, a Grand Idea. Um, and yeah, I guess that's been my favorite record that I've been, I can't, I just find myself naturally gravitating towards again and again, but you know, you could ask me next week and it'll change drastically. So yeah, of course. Okay. If you had a boat, what would you name it? So, um, my father was a really big boatsman. So I actually, I spent a, a great deal of my youth on the high seas. Uh, he had a 48 foot merit. Uh, it was called the wind song. And um, then he told me when I was older, he said, Jack, um, uh, a boat is just a hole in the water that you throw money into. So there's that old saying that's going around that's kind of inappropriate, but that kind of suggests that a boat is something that you should rent. Um, but I guess like in the interest of, uh, keeping the legacy of Jack senior alive, I guess if I, if I were to have a boat, I would probably call it the wind song too. That is the most prepared answer I've heard for this question <laughs> in terms of actually having an answer for it. That's amazing. Well, that's the end of our shots. Jack, where can people find you? Yeah, so um, you can find me on Instagram at Incredible Mulk, M-U-L-Q. Uh, so it's like play on words, Incredible Hulk. On Twitter, it's at 2% Mulk to the number P-E-R-C-E-N-T, M-U-L-Q. Um, or just find me at Make Believe. I mean, I'm, I'm there pretty much every night. So uh, come say hi. And hopefully if you're listening to this, I can welcome you, welcome you to the new one in the fall. Yay! Yay. Okay, well, 
I definitely need to come to make believe now. It's I've been I've been yeah, sold on it. I think it. actually we'll we'll uh, we'll plan to do if if uh, if you would would like we'll we'll do like a an in person drinks first uh, event there. That could be really fun. I will hundred percent. You let me know <laughs> when, and I will I will do it. Tell me when, and I'm down. Okay. Jack, thank you so much, and. It's definitely one of my longer interviews, but I enjoyed every minute of it. And I hopefully will see you soon and I'll bring you some tea. Yeah, this has been really fun. And uh, hopefully everybody listening, I get to meet you uh, in the physical domain soon. 